on this episode of AV Week. We get an update from Uncle Richie and Tim Albright from Cedia 2016. We talk about Outdoor Doe, Crazy Eddie, and how he changed everything. This and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV, AV Week. Performing Scan Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 264, Do It With Me, recorded September 17th, 2016. And welcome to another edition of AV Week. I am your host this week, George Tuck. The rest of the crew is at Cedia, the lucky guys. Uh, We have a full fledge of guests today, so let's get through them, plus a special report from our friends at Cedia. Uh, Joining us today first is Hanan from PrimeView. How are you, Hanan? Doing great. Happy it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't it the truth? Also joining us, Don Mead from our show, AV Social. How are you, Don? Very good, thanks. How about yourself? I'm all right. Also joining us is Frank Colada from Simcoe. How are you, sir? Doing well. All right. We're going to get to these guys in just a minute to talk about a few of the week's stories. But first, there's a small little event going on uh, down there in Dallas, of all places. Uh, Cedia is there, and some of the AV Nation crew have uh, bivouacked there to sort of gather information and interview people. Uh, joining us from there live, as they would say in the old days, is Uncle Richie and Tim Albright. How are you, gentlemen? Good. We're doing good. We are, we are the AV Nation embedded correspondents. Yes. So, <laughs> in undisclosed locations. With a remote core. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's get right to it, though, guys. Uh, there's been a lot of news coming out of Cedia this week. Uh, in the last few days, especially, a lot, of, a lot of it's breathless and a little hyperbolic. But uh, what have you seen? Help us uh, determine what was uh, the good stuff, what really is going to happen, and uh, we should keep an eye on. Um, it, it is a, I'm going to steal a little yeah. bit, but uh, it is the age of Alexa. You know, it is, we definitely have flowers on our hair and the dawning of Aquarius here. Um, and oddly enough, Google Cast yes. is here, which was a surprise. Nice size booth. Nice size booth, which we didn't see. So, um, the greater tech market um, is starting to make some inroads. Obviously, at the keynote, which surprised a lot of people, um, there was lots and lots of announcements during the keynote of Alexa's involvement. Um, all the major manufacturers basically have announced that they have some form of Amazon Echo integration. Uh, Savant, Crestron, Control 4, Milan, uh, you name it. Um, and if you go around to pretty much any of the booth that involves a control system or a panel or a remote, there is some form of Alexa integration. And uh, uh, Amazon Alexa has a booth themselves, yes, too. Yes, so. yeah. They're, they're, they're running live demos. So they have their entire booth. And in each of these vignettes, they are highlighting the separate manufacturers working with them. So they're, they're trying to show off some, some real-world situations and they're also showing off some some real world limitations <laughs> at the same time um that's that's been uh been a lot of it, it's been great but it's been good i mean the buzz is definitely there um you know i think our view is that it's not perfect but it's a good start and 
um, it's good to see that there's there's at least involved. They're recognizing that there is a a large group of of uh, individuals who are probably interested in Echo um, and are now starting to pay attention to it. Yeah, and the other thing is, is you've got uh, it's a great first step for voice control, which is something that we've actually debated on AV Week for five years now. Um, and it, it's a great first step. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Uh, the Echo itself isn't perfect, but there are a, a few handful of manufacturers who are doing some significant work with it. Um, you've got people like Control 4, who the, the one unique thing, I think, unique thing about them is that they're a native uh, skill. Uh, if you're familiar with, with Amazon Alexa, you know what that means. That means you don't have to say, Alexa, make Control 4 do X, Y, Z. You can just say, Alexa, turn off lights, and it does it. The other manufacturers, you have to say, hey, Alexa, go, go make you know, brand X, do whatever. So that, that's a unique thing. Um, the other thing is, is, is the Sonos. And Sonos, the announcement was made about a week or so ago, right before uh, Cedia. But it is, it's, somebody said today that it, it is a coming together, a kumbaya on a play of, of Richie's um, hair. It, it's, it's a very much, hey, let's all work together, right? Sonos brought in Crestron, and they brought in uh, uh, Lutron, and a bunch of other folks. Alexa's working with a, with a lot of folks. It's, it's the, consumer, the consumer IoT folks now working with, with the residential uh, folks as well. So that's nice to see. Um, and I think one, it, kind of in running that thread, I mean, we were talking to Mitch Klein mm-hmm. yesterday yep. and one of the, and we yep. are going to, we are going to, with the Z-Wave and, and he coined, I thought one of the best terms so far that we've heard recently is that you have the uh, do it yourself crowd, the DIY crowd, the do it for me crowd. And he said, we're focusing on the do it with me crowd. He yeah. says that the, he sees that there's a market there that integrators and homeowners can somehow meet in the middle. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely kind of the age of collaboration right now. I think that, um, I think that we're, we're, they're, they're hearing the barbarians at the gate more and more of these manufacturers. They're, they are recognizing that the buying patterns of consumers were saying, look, I, I don't mind using four apps. Um, HomeKit is a perfect example last week. You know, I, iOS 10 launched uh, officially two days ago. Um, and sure enough, there is an icon for, for, for Apple Home or whatever it is, which is the HomeKit integration. And all of a sudden, people are starting to see that their devices are starting to populate up. And here in the CI industry, they're saying, hey, look, you know, they're, 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 it is a matter of saying, look, you have those options available to you. And we're going to augment those options. Um, I spent today looking specifically at door stations. You know, there's lots of great companies out there. Ring, um, uh, uh, Dropbox by, by Nest, um, all of the established players. But we're also seeing other options where they're saying, hey, look, what happens if you do have an integrated system or you do have multiple phones or you have people living in a normal house or people who have, you know, the old uh, intercom systems yeah. um, and they're finding ways to take those solutions in, in, in an older home and saying, yes, we can upgrade you. And on top of it, it doesn't have to be an Island. It doesn't have to be an isolated unit. We can actually integrate it with some better items and we can pull it up on your television. Yes, we can pull it up on your phone. And by the way, if you have your iPad, that's running your lights and a few other things, it'll pop up the notification for you. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the continued progression of what we talked about even five years ago, which is you got to go along to get along. And, and we're starting to see products are actually starting to be released now, not even talked about, but are now really? shipping yeah. um, that are following that trend. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to look at a whole lot of uh, videos. Richie and I ran by. We, we talked to the Access Networks. We're talking to Lutron today. We are going to interview Mitch uh, officially from, from Z-Wave and, and look at what 
they're going to be on the website, avionation.tv, starting, uh, starting Monday. Well, though, I do have one more question for you, though. Uh, the question everybody, I'm sure, will know is, which was the best party? Um, the, the quiet dinner we had last night amongst ourselves. <laughs> yes. The old man, the old man, uh, uh, but, but definitely the party at Gillies was packed. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. The yeah. Cedia party. The, the Cedia party was huge. That's the thing is, is, is Cedia had a, a party themselves, which is a, a departure from what Infogum did. Infogum does not have an official, like, oh my gosh, you know, 15,000 people party. 2,000 people at, at Gillies, uh, our, our good friend, Ben Bruno got to go on stage and, and be the MC and, and, and the guy of the moment. Um, Gave out, out a bunch of awards as well. So that was that was very cool. Yeah, and on top of it, uh, I think it's probably one of the only places where you see a board member who was dressed as close as he could to a replica of what John Travolta wore in uh, Urban oh, yeah. Cowboy, which is where <laughs> which was shot in Gillies on the Mechanical Bull. So uh, our good friend Joe Whitaker, yes, uh, yes it was, was made sure to, to keep it light and fun. So again, not something I, I necessarily would see at Infocom. So I mean, that's, that's kind of the spirit of CD, yeah. you know, right there. It was a good time. It was a good time. Uh, everybody... There were libations and food galore. Yes. Well, I'm shocked to hear there were libations. Shocked, I tell you. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed yourselves. Now, go have fun. Uh, thanks, guys. Right. Live from CD, Tim Albright and uh, Richie Fergosa. Thanks, guys, gentlemen. All right. So, guys, uh, we'll do a quick recap on that. Anything that the uh, gentleman said that you heard in that short report that uh, piques your interest, even on the sort of commercial side, something you see merging in with our world that we should keep a tra- track of? Hanan, I'll start with you. Sure. So I actually had an interesting experience. Uh, when I first started my career, I was more in banking and finance. And I never forget this, but the first company that I actually evaluated from an investment standpoint was a voice control, you know, voice, um, what's the better, I forgot what the term they even used for it back then. But um, essentially all these uh, softwares that'll, you know, take your voice and translate it into text for you, essentially. Uh, at the time, I think the first one was Dragonfly or Dragon something. Dragon. Yeah. So we actually, uh, I was involved in that uh, evaluation. And I said, no way. It, the technology at the time was so far from it. And you're talking probably uh, over 15 years ago, probably at this point. This point. And uh, it's interesting to see how much voice has changed so much. I personally still will not use Siri. <laughs> it drives me crazy <laughs> when it suggests my mom instead of my boss um to call so <laughs> um i the voice thing is definitely an interesting piece in how it's evolving um but as uh, our friend uh, josh spoke about at the internet of things infocom that we were at another week uh the whole security aspect of these voice devices and how they tie into consumer and commercial devices now even together uh personally scares me a lot to be honest with you um so i'd be very careful on the integration of the consumer commercial platform and how the commercial integrator market looks at the commercial solutions that tie to a consumer platform. It's kind of scary. Uh, Frank, your thoughts, uh, have you uh, seen anything in that little report that might push you towards saying, Hey, I got to keep a little bit closer track on what they're doing on the uh, Resi side. Absolutely. And the voice recognition and voice command uh, topic, uh, I happened to be in Dallas before CDF for the iPro meeting. iPro is the association of independent reps in the Resi market. 
And uh, the only technology conversation that came up repeatedly was the future of voice uh, command technology and how it's being heavily integrated. That was the only buzz technology-wise. We talked about all kinds of other rep issues as far as um, business, market, uh, environment, things like that. But technologically speaking, it came up at least a few times, and it was this is the one to watch. So I'm not surprised to hear uh, that your man in the field or your men in the field uh, picked up on it right away. Don? Same with you, or I know you've been a fan of the voice activation stuff. Uh, I've hated the jest, and you love the voice. So, uh, d- is this something that you uh, can't wait for, or do you find it suspicious that there's now too many people doing it? I, I predict. Here I go predicting. Good Lord. Um, I predict it's going to be a whole lot of headaches for a whole lot of integrators on the commercial side. Um, Basically, I mean, we, we went through this sea change about, you know, in the past decade or decade and a half that it used to be commercial drove the home. Hey, I saw this cool thing at work I wanted at the house. Now home is driving commercial so much. Thank you, Apple and others. Um, but it's getting to the point that our customers are going to expect these things. Well, I walk in the house and I tell Alexa or, or what have you to turn on my lights and it just happens. Why can't I do this in the boardroom or why can't I do this at work? And it's going to be a huge, huge headache for integrators because we're, we're worried about more than just turning on the lights at home when we're at work, especially for those of us in the government front. This is just like fantasy for them. <laughs> but even in the, in the commercial office space, there's so much concern with cybersecurity, so much concern with hacking, uh, just even basic authentication. You know, we still have customers hesitant to put in touch panels to control things because anybody can come up and touch them. And how do we authenticate that someone that's allowed to turn things on and off and someone that isn't? So when you go to full voice control, there's going to be a whole lot of issues that people aren't thinking of when they just say, can't we just walk in and talk? Well, yeah, you can if you don't care about your security, if you don't care who comes in and starts using things. If you know, if you don't care about all these vulnerabilities and all these additional issues that your integrator is going to hate you for, sure, we can put voice control in. So I think it's an awesome thing for home. I think it's a cool thing. My personal voice, my car never recognizes my voice when I try to dial. So I end up having to dial anyway, you know, Harry's voice, the car recognizes for some reason, but you know, it doesn't work for everybody. It has its glitches, but it is a very cool thing. We just need to work on getting it secure and getting it integratable in a commercial world. And I don't think it's there yet. I don't sure. think it's going to be there yet for a little bit. And, you know, for those of us that work in the government market, forget about it. I mean, if it ever gets integrated in our world. Speaking of something that's sort of in our world, or it, it seems like it's more of a CES thing, but I've started to see a lot of traction on. Uh, let's go back to the iPhone 7 not having a headphone jack. Uh, from our friends at Digital Trends, Dolby Labs Super Smart Wireless Earbuds will be available internationally very soon. Now, this comes on the heels of iPhone 7 not having a jack, which put a lot of people in, well, disarray and umbrage, as it were. Um, but these are different. They have a lot more technology in them. They are sound adaptive. They can be used for your phone and other things. And they seem to be able to give you that and the ability to hear the outside world simultaneously. Uh, Hanan, I'm going to go to you for a second. Would you see this as being something that we're going to start looking at, say, the corporate integrators wanting to have as part of their standard stuff? Like the companies that give someone a phone, will they instead be giving them these earbuds 
to use? You know, it's funny. If you would have asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have no response because I wouldn't have enough intel. However, for the last six months, I've been eyeing the new Bose headphones that are now wireless. And I said to myself, you know what? I already have Bose headphones. They cost me all $279. And when these break, I'm going to go and buy the wireless ones. So I went to Best Buy and they found a way, I don't know how, to magically upgrade me to the wireless ones. Let me tell you something. I desperately miss my cable now because I'm on an airplane 40% of the time and the quality of the cable itself and the audio itself is completely different from when you're wireless than when you plug it in. And ironically, the quality of wireless on these devices is better than when you plug it in. I don't know why or how, but that's actually causing me a lot of stress when I'm on an airplane 40% of the time or when I want to decide to switch from my iPhone all of a sudden now to my iPad. Now I have to use my earbuds that cost all of $6 versus $379. Hmm. So, you know, I don't see a quick adoption um, because first of all, it's much easier to lose now as well. Um, but coming from a person who just forked over a decent amount of money to get those wireless ones, I'm not that excited to uh, recommend it to others. So well, it's hard know, for is, me to <laughs> give a stamp of there, approval. Yeah, there is something though that came along with that. That a couple of months ago there was the Babelfish, and those of you who are Douglas Adams fans know that there's an actual product out there these days. I'll share that as well, real quick. Um, that actually goes in your ear like a listening device, and is supposed to instantaneously or near instantaneously translate languages for you. Uh, I'll ask uh, Frank on your travel. Would you see like the, the one that Digital Trends is uh, recommending or at least highlighting? And these, do you see that maybe more as a future trend? Like I can travel anywhere now with this universal pair of headsets or in-ear headphones uh, to do my work and, and be able to speak in any language. My first thought was it would solve a seven-year problem I had with my mother-in-law who only speaks Italian. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that, that's not a commercial application. Um, commercially speaking, I don't, I don't know that the translation thing will be as widespread because I don't know that we have that much commercial challenge with translation outside of UN conferences and things like that. Um, back to the, the earbuds that we were just talking about, though, those one thing I did find interesting with them is sound reinforcement, especially in the classroom, is important. And as, they, as people struggle with budgets and dynamics of the room, uh, to be able to, to outfit a uh, hearing a challenged child with someone that has plus C, uh, 6 dB uh, amplification might be an application commercially in the education side of it. And then um, on the background noise side, which is the negative 8, uh, that it, negative 28 that it went to, uh, I could see that personally. I could use that all the time. I can't handle more than one. Uh, I'd love to be able to select what I listen to. Now, that's personal preference, not really commercial application. But... Um, so the first one, the translation, very minimally. Uh, and this other one, the new earbuds, uh, a little bit more, but uh, still fishing around in the dark to figure out where it's going to have solid traction. Hmm. Uh, Don, so government work, of course, they probably wouldn't want these because they're too easy to either lose and or be tapped into. But from your personal experience, would, would you see this as something that corporate might want to get into other than government? Or is this just, uh, again, we're going to be fighting wanting the wire or the IR? Um, I mean, I, I read the thing for the Doppler Labs story. Uh, the, the, those earbuds, they're not just for music. In fact, I think it said in the article that the first version didn't even play music. They were mainly just in-ear for sound reinforcement, for um, sound filtering, 
sort of like your your noise canceling earbuds, but without the music. Um, and, and I honestly see a lot of people, you know, as Frank said, adapting this technology into their lives, you know, uh, maybe not, this is a bad example, maybe not like Google Glass, you know, the glass holes, there were only a few of them and they loved it, but then it went away, it seems. But it, I think we're getting to the point where wearables, whether they're in-ear noise canceling and sound boosting apparatus, or whether they're, you know, things that we wear on a watch or, or on as a necklace or a ring, you know, these kind of wearables are getting more and more common. And we're going to see them coming in the regular world. They're going to creep their way into the commercial world. We're going to have to deal with them. And it's the whole BYOB, how are the companies going to handle it? Um, I don't know that companies are going to start issuing these to their employees, but I think as integrators, we need to know about these sort of things. If they do gain the traction, how do we integrate that? You know, these are great noise canceling and helping you select what you're going to listen to. Do they work up like a T coil hearing aid? You know, is it something that, that our listen sound loops that we install for our customers in their boardrooms and their lobbies are going to integrate with? How's that going to work? Do we have to, you know, program something or does it just automatically happen? So I think there's a lot of questions that remain to be answered before we can just start whole hog integrating them. I think the promise of what they and other similar products can do is amazing and a little bit scary. You know, uh, you know, see people here, uh, sci-fi, you know, getting implants under their skin and, and bio upgrades. And next thing you know, we're all, you know, we are bored. You will be assimilated, but um, it, it has a lot of cool promise. And I, I'm interested to see where it goes. Uh, but like Hanan, I, I have some questions about the price. I lose crap all the time. I will certainly lose them. I, you know, I'm not an eye person. So I was kind of laughing at the whole Apple announcement with the new iPhone. But, you know, my first question was, what if you're on a plane and you want to listen to your music? Do you have to have that little adapter plug to plug in and you can't charge while you're doing it unless you buy a different dongle? And it's like, there's more cables with this uh, cable. Zone, that adapter but, you know. sucks. It really does. Mm. But, right, but well, you, can't, you can't have Bluetooth earphones, you know, on a plane with all the, you, I don't want to take uh, any kind of chances with signals interfering with signals when I'm 30,000 feet of, off the ground. That's just me. <laughs> all right. So, um, let's move on to something a little bit more commercial at the moment since we were on the CDA kick there and we wanted to just get a little bit more in on how it's sort of merging into us. Uh, from our friends at Sound and Communication Magazine, ways to increase value in the DOE market. That's D-O-O-H, of course. Yeah, we'll share it with you there. Uh, this article goes on to talk about the growing portion of our market, which is digital signage, uh, some of the better ways to market that, and some of the complications in finding the real estate to do so. Uh, Hanan, I'm going to start with you since this is right on. You actually have an office, I don't know, centrally located within this article's uh, uh, reference. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that, the difficulties of getting digital signage to get the attention and the durability of the outside market. Sure. So um, <clears throat> in our case, we've always been doing digital out of home, not just your traditional digital signage, but in your rugged outdoor world um, globally. Uh, recently in the U.S., we've gotten much more involved in digital out of home um, with the help of our manufacturer reps, actually, um, in bringing us into the large digital out of home networks. And what we've been discovering is a lot of the digital out of home networks are royally getting screwed by some of these box movers, uh, not to name any of them, Frank, but um, 
basically a lot of the box plays, uh, they have solutions that work in a lot of environments, but in the vibrations of subways, in the outdoor waterproofing, humidity world, they fail. And what we've discovered is a lot of the technology we developed for military applications with IP ratings and vibration spec and mil spec is actually already been developed and just has to be deployed. So from outdoor LED in applications like Times Square uh, to transit authority projects with huge digital out-of-home networks for simple things like interactive kiosks or wayfinding kiosks that are all IP rated that are branded for that transit authority to very unique outdoor hybrid solution of single displays or dual sided displays that are specifically designed for subways. Um, and there's a rapid transformation of these things now that we have analytics to show how much those spots are actually worth. So we've seen a massive explosion in digital out of home, um, almost at the point now, uh, percentage wise is our broadcast business now uh, growing in the US. And it's not just outdoor LED boards. It's interactive wayfinding kiosks that are public-private partnerships that are solving a problem, not just getting revenue. And that's really um, a kudos to the ad networks because the ad networks are coming to us saying, we don't just want a screen. We want to provide a charging kiosk. That people can actually charge their phone. Well, great. That's a great idea. But that indoor solution is rather simple. But the outdoor solution now, if you use the iPhone jack, well, that'll shock you if it's wet. So we have to create a lot of tailored solutions. The good thing for our company is it's not usually five or 10 units at a time. They're 500 unit deployments, 5,000 unit deployments. Um, and it's very unique uh, deployments, I would say. No deployment is the same as others because the power at New Jersey Transit may come from the bottom at 50%. The other 50% have to come from above. So how do you waterproof those environments? Very, very complex engineering. And uh, my guys in Israel on the R&D side have a lot of headaches because of it. A lot of things that you have to deal with. Well, Frank, it's a field that sort of like Ethernet was a couple of years ago, and maybe even IoT is now, but many of our commercial integrators see a possibility for, but it's still not really a world they understand. Uh, do you have a perspective on, on, on how this market can be entered and, and what, what the sort of pitfalls are to keep, keep aware of? I do know that uh, to mirror what you both are saying, it's, it's really taking off right now. Uh, two lines that work in it most are Sunbright and uh, NLG. And they're doing, uh, we're seeing video walls everywhere. We're seeing opportunities pop up all the time. We're seeing bids and quotes, uh, consultant specs all the time. Uh, and then now more than ever. So it's probably, one of, if not the hottest areas, uh, especially in the display portion of the commercial market. Um, you both bring up a good point, which is not everyone's integrator or designer is capable of, of handling the special uh, environments that many of the uh, uh, architectural and creative thinkers are wanting to put DOH in. So uh, it does get tricky, uh, and it takes me back to just standard signage, and it takes me to pretty much every other category commercial AV has evolved through, that uh, if you don't have the expertise, you better get it. Otherwise, those first few skin knees could be your last. Um, but there are some, uh, like I'm sure Hanan and, and the rest of you know, that do an exceptional job at it. And there, I think, it's a, another area in the commercial world where you go niche, and there's profitability and value there, where if you're just a run of the mill and you're trying to reach outside your, um, your capabilities, uh, you may be able to pull it off. You may be doing yourself and your customer a disservice. 
I wanted to interject there's something I just thought about actually you know this past week uh, I had a very unique opportunity with the top five AV integrator uh, that reached out to us um, and they had prior to this application no experience in a uh, digital out of home uh, outdoor LED project and they specifically had a great client great spot I'm not going to call it Times Square but it is an application of such and we have the unique skill set to take that integrator who quite frankly is not necessarily experienced in that space and take them to the point where they can successfully deploy it from a professional services side. So we found is, is that if you provide the right professional services from a manufacturer standpoint, even an integrator who just has that great client, we could teach them how to become an expert in a space that currently is maybe dominated by three or four major players. There's another point here uh, real quick, uh, and that is the partnering that you bring up. We've seen it with uh, AV over the network. We've seen it with, um, with other implementation uh, uh, specialties that, that run-of-the-mill integrators don't have. Um, it's really important right now, and I think some of the, the smartest and wisest are partnering with whether it's an IT VAR, whether it's a specialty in outdoor uh, environments, things like that. Uh, and it leads me to a, a quick, bigger thing, which is that so many integrators, from what I'm hearing right now, we hear a lot, are outsourcing their integration anyway, uh, whether it's because of workload or they've downsized their staff or it's in a specialty area that they're not good in. So it's really not that far of a stretch if you're outsourcing most a lot of your integration anyway to, uh, it, it makes it, you're halfway there to taking a step to partnering like Kanan says and truly getting an expert and getting a job done right for you and the customer. Speaking of the expert portion of that, there is also a discussion in this article about content. Uh, about that if the content isn't right for the space, <laughs> the display, and for the media, uh, it could be a problem. And while they don't stress it, uh, Don, this is right up your alley. Digital signage, we've all seen a mix of really well done and the, okay, they just put a monitor up and ran, I don't know what. Uh, what's your experience with like getting content on these digital displays actually more than just flash around? Well, you know, I, I think I've done two major digital signage deployments in my career, which is not a lot, um, but small integrators, you know. Um, one of them, they had no clue, and we had to teach them the software from scratch, and it still basically looked almost like a PowerPoint, like just words and, and a blue screen. It, it looked like, you know, if you, if you go to your grandma's house and you turn on the cable and there's always like channel three or channel four or something <laughs> that's like the, the, the cable companies, you know, showing local news kind of scroll. Yeah, it, it's not good. And, and that, but that's what they wanted. That's the best they could do. We tried teaching them better content things. That's what we ended up with. Uh, yeah, the other deployment. It, we did, I was going to say, I think it goes along right with what Frank and, uh, and Hanan were saying is that, you know, find the right resource to do that. Huh? I mean, if, if you can't do it yourself, spend the money to right. find the resource to do it at least for the first few jobs so you get the right. it's profit. it's 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 honestly one of my biggest concerns is when we do these massive video walls from a, a casino five by five wall to a digital signage in a entrance lobby way of a direct ULD that's three four hundred thousand dollars the first thing that that always scares me is that okay great you make this great investment but then my wall even though it's prime view even though it's a big sale even though it's a big PO well it's gonna look like garbage because they're gonna take a a, a marketing video that's on a DVD player um, and that's in SD resolution. Not many of you probably don't even know what SD resolution is. It's a good thing. It's crap. Um, but 
I've seen it time and time again, and we've been involved in deployments, uh, 100 stores at Burberry, 100 stores at Chanel, 50 stores Lacoste, 50 stores Armani, video wall after video after video wall, and they're playing it off a DVD player that's probably 15 years old off a runway show from 10 years ago. And my walls look like garbage, and it scares me. So I get all the time requests, do you have any recommendation on content? And actually, yeah, I know about five players who specialize in that. And I recommend them because of that exact reason. My wall only looks as good as content. Right. It only looks good as uh, the, the stuff you put into it. Um, all right. So right. we're running out of time here. And uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, fortunately, the other deployment we did, they actually worked with an art department that they had on staff. And they actually made great quality designed for the signage content that was beautiful. And that installation was great. But I, my, my basic overall real quick arching thought on this whole article was – you know, we're telling people this is a great area of opportunity, and it is, but if we're telling integrators this now, a lot of us are in the same place as hearing, oh, IT and AV are, are, are converging. Well, no, really, it happened 10 years ago. D Digital Auto Home happened like 10 years ago. There are entire companies that do nothing about this, and they do it wonderfully. We're a little late to the show. So if you're an integrator, yeah, do what Frank said, do what Hanan said, partner up, because you're missing a lot of opportunity and figure it out quick because it's already here and there's already people taking your jobs. And ultimately, your customers will respect that because when you bring a package together, even if it's not coming from you, and we do this all the time, meaning when we did a project for Lexus and Madison Square Garden with an integrator, we brought in the content. We brought in the signage players and we said, guys, here's a turnkey package. And they said, oh, we didn't even know we needed that. Like, <laughs> it's an afterthought. So if you bring in those partners in, you don't have to put it all as a line item in your own quote. Just respect the channels, respect the players involved, respect the partners. Everybody does their part. And you know what? Everyone has a case study to talk about. Indeed. And that was a good part of that uh, portion of that article. It was really well done. Thanks for uh, the highlighting it. That, that's a really excellent way to do it. All right. So we're running out of time. And I get to miss my favorite story about Pico projectors in the commercial market. But we'll cover that another time. But I thought I'd tease that. Um, but finally, uh, an icon has died. And it's not an icon that some of us have known in the past with greats that are in the Hall of Fame. But from our friends at NBC News, Eddie Antar, better known as Crazy Eddie, died this week. Uh, if anyone doesn't know who Crazy Eddie is on the East Coast, he was uh, part of a stores that sold really low-priced electronics uh, and had multiple stores and had the single craziest ads on TV and radio. Uh, done by a radio personality here in New York called Jerry Carroll, who just went nuts in his delivery of how low their prices were and what they were offering. Uh, the thing is, though, that Eddie was doing it in a way that he broke the way that manufacturers could control the prices. And the reason I bring him up here is that it actually changed not just the retail market, but all of our markets and how we get merchandise. It made the way for the Internet to say, let's get low cut prices. They're going to get it anyway. The supply chain started to break down. Uh, Frank, I'm going to start with you. Thoughts on Crazy Eddie and how that sort of initial supply chain discount really started to affect everything we do. Um, I remember the commercials vividly, the, uh, where he reached out and says our prices are insane and his veins popping out of his neck. Uh, and one of the few things I remember so vividly from growing up. So uh, from the marketing side, pretty brilliant. And I know he's, uh, he's renowned in, in marketing circles for that. Um, far as the commoditization and the, and the, the, the price uh, deterioration caused, um, I, I can't make a connection directly between that and what happened in the commercial world, but I can tell you that I've never seen anything like it as it is today in the commercial world. Uh, I hear integrators, dealers complaining 
frequently about reverse auctions for hardware and not just a, a, a one of this or two of that, but seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars of gear uh, that they're running a reverse auction online and the bidders can go in and whoever gets to the lowest by the, you know, as the clock ticks down, they can fulfill that. That scares me a lot. Uh, there's there's no value add. There's no control. There's um, it, it, we're just a, a fulfillment house at that point. And uh, and most of our integrators that Invo are involved in that aren't set up to be fulfillment houses. And I think there's lots of opportunity for problems there. So I can't make the connection for you from Crazy Eddie to where it's come, but I can tell you that where it is now is pretty scary on a couple levels as far as uh, the value that uh, the end user places on the channel in a lot of cases. Well, you know, Hanan, while the connection may be a little bit tenuous, there was the initial start of that alter discount that the manufacturers couldn't control anymore. Uh, I mean, you don't deal on the retail side so much, I believe, and selling your stuff direct to client, but, or at least the home client, but there was a change there, was there not? There was a, an ability to say the manufacturers wanted to control the pricing, but he said, I found a way around it and I'm going to explore it, much to the chagrin of even stores after him, no? Yeah, well, I think at the end of the day, you know, when you look at manufacturing and you look at the, what appears to be a massive commoditization of product. Uh, that a lot of the box movers, unfortunately, are focused on is to move boxes. Um, what people have to continuously do is to spend money in R&D and development to justify their price point of their product and help the customers get that price point in a way that's integrated properly, that brings value. And, you know, one of the main reasons why we walked away from distribution for the ProAV vertical is because it was eroding that value proposition because it was hurting our integrators. So we actually do not sell through any distribution model of such sort. We specifically in the AV market work directly with our system integrators. And what we're able to do is we're able to give as much as my friends at B&H would love to sell my product and I get poached on a weekly basis from it, all my friends there. Um, I know all of them, unfortunately, on a personal level from CES and other shows. And I uh, pray with them at times and eat with them in Shabbat dinner sometimes. But um, the reality is, is that that B&H model, that online portal, that retail model, it hurts integrators. And I can't tell you how many integrators call me and says, Hanan, I only make five points on this or 10 points on that. And I think that's a big mistake because after financing costs and carrying costs of these goods and net 100 million years terms that everyone wants to ask for today, um, no one likes deposits apparently. Um, so it, it puts uh, a lot of integrators in a bad position where they're killing their cash flow. So I'm very pleased to say that the lessons of these crazy eddies, the lessons of the, the other manufacturers going out of business and you follow the year of the consolidation that's taking place as with the distribution model. Um, if you're a box mover, that's great. Um, and we do that in the security market because uh, that is very much a security model. But in the AV model, we're very happy to say we don't do sales distribution and our system integrators make healthy margins. Um, and ultimately end user are getting still that same quality product that's engineered and that's designed to work and it's not available through an online portal. So making something easy and accessible uh, is nice, but also it shouldn't have to erode gross profit margins of system integration and dealers. Yeah. And it's a battle we've been fighting probably ever since those days, I guess. And I see him as sort of the first wave of that. Don, government doesn't always appear to be price conscious, but they're also affected by that whole 
distribution model breakdown that Hanan was speaking about and that we think basically can show its um, beginnings in the crazy eddies. Uh, is it a boon or a bust for us at this juncture? First, I want to correct you. Government is incredibly price conscious because at the end of the day, their procurement people don't talk to the people that are actually requesting or using the equipment. All their procurement people do is do is put out a bid that says, I need one of these. Oh, that's the lowest price. They get the bid or they get the, the project. They don't care if it's slightly different specs or slightly, you know, at the end of the day, the end user will and they'll be very mad about it, but you wouldn't believe some of the bids and some of the, the jobs that have been lost or won just strictly on numbers and then the boondoggle it becomes. I guess I was thinking There are a couple companies that can do those, but for the most part, those procurement people, man, they will wring every last penny out of you. I mean, it, it's, it's vicious. It's, it's horrible work, which is why we hate doing it. But my one thought though, and that's, Integrators nowadays, we know we're not making money on boxes. God bless the prime views of the world that like allow us to make margin and, and deal directly. But for the most part, if you're still trying to make money on your boxes, you're either a box mover, you're getting things that fell off a truck, or you're going to just go under because it isn't realistic nowadays. And I think the biggest thread that kind of goes through all of these stories we talked about today is that our industry is changing and changed. And so for the integrator perspective, you have to change with them. You have to change to meet their challenges and adjust how we've done business traditionally to stay in business. And in the case of, of the, the crazy eddies and, and, the, and the price drops, you know, that's one thing in my current company, NetAV, for the longest time, people in this region didn't even know who NetAV was. We never want anything, but we do so much government work because we're known as fixers. Oh yeah, this low bidder over here, they got the job and they came in and put in this equipment, but it never works. And we're having all these problems in the general or the, the, the head of this division wants things to work. Let me call Ron. Let me call the guys over at NetAV. They bring us in. We make it work. Sometimes we get to sell some boxes that should have been in the initial bid to fix it, but we end up getting this service work and then we get contracts as a result of that. You know, you have to adjust how you're thinking. If you're a, if you're a fixer, if you understand how to, how to deal with this stuff, you can still make your money and still have a good business. But if you're just going out and trying to compete on this stuff, you know, you're going to go the way of crazy Eddie and be out of business and hopefully not with a federal indictment. Um, <laughs> well, so that's but, what I was going to bring up is at the end, all of that being said, uh, he did wind up serving most of his life or the rest of his life in jail for embezzlement and uh, other improprieties that he committed in, the, in those acts. Although from a marketing point of view, I agree with you. Like I was just a little kid and there were no crazy Eddie stores anywhere near Pittsburgh, but they still had his ads on some of the national channels. And I grew up watching this lunatic and you know, like 30 years later, I still remember these commercials. So he was doing something right on the marketing front. Even if he did get indicted and go out of business marketing wise, he was kind of brilliant. So, you know, good for him. Rest in peace. But like, <laughs> Oh, the seventies and the eighties, I missed them. So, well, we've done it again. We've had another uh, half hour to 45 minutes of uh, AV week. Uh, I want to thank you for watching. It's been a great conversation with some of our guests. Uh, let's take a look. Guys, tell us where we can uh, hear from you more. Shanan, what can they, where can they find more about you and PrimeView on? Uh, New York City. But uh, if you're not in New York, if you're in Pittsburgh or anywhere else in the country, you could definitely get us on PrimeView.biz or my office line, my uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever works for you. 
Um, all of the above is accessible, definitely on the digital st- digital front. Cool. And Dawn, of course, IDB Nation, but where else can folks find out about what you're doing and what your thoughts are? Well, the company is NetAV, N-E-T hyphen AV.com. You can check us out online or if you're here in the mid-Atlantic DC region, Maryland, um, you know, check us out. Uh, you'll see us out at shows. And of course, here on AV Nation, I host AV Social, which if my fabulous producer, George, will post it, we have a new show posting momentarily and a few new ones it's in the pipeline. I'll promote that. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter most often, AV Dawn, at AV Dawn. Cool. And of course, lastly, Frank Bellotta from Simcoe. Sir, where can they find out more about you and your company? Uh, well, speaking of New York and D.C., we do have some showcases coming up next week. I will be in New York City on Thursday the 22nd with all of our brands and with Gary Hall from Cisco and Bill Natras from Biamp doing a day of exhibits and seminars. Uh, Boston on Tuesday the 20th, New York City on Thursday the 22nd of next week. And you can find out more at SimcoInc.com or SimcoShowcases.com. Cool. And that is September 22nd in New York City. That's right. Cool. So they know. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much for a great conversation. And thank you and the audience for watching. Uh, if you get a chance, Aviation is supported by you and our underwriters, our corporate underwriters. You can go see who is supporting us at our underwriters page. Please, if you like the show, go and thank them for giving us the opportunity to keep the lights on. We really do appreciate it. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Uh, for everyone at AV Nation and for AV Week, I'm George Tucker. Thank you for watching, and we'll speak to all of you again very soon.